Hi, and welcome to the Women in Foreign Policy podcast. This month, we talked to Daniela Agnello, who is the Executive Director of Global Health Mentorships, an organization that's been doing online mentoring programs since before the COVID-19 pandemic forced all of us online. We talked about what it's like to be an all-online organization, what you can learn from people who are both your mentors, but also your mentees. And we talked a little bit about what someone should look for both as a mentor and as a mentee in a mentorship program. Hope you enjoy this interview. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us. Um, Would you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and talk a little bit about, about the organization? Sure. Thanks so much, Ashley. And my pleasure to join So I am an American. I am originally from the West Coast, from Reno, Nevada, and now I'm based in Copenhagen, Denmark. I am a microbiologist by background and more recently a global health uh, professional. And my two main roles I have, um, one is I work at the World Health Organization headquarters office, specifically around working for health program and coordinating between the ILO and OECD and WHO, but that's for another time. But today I'm speaking mostly about my role um, leading Global Health Mentorships, which is an online group-based mentoring program uh, targeting global health students and young professionals. So we match them with uh, established professionals in the field and then guide them through a five-month facilitated program. Um, Yes, so that's me. Great. Um, So I think kind of a good place to start is like at the beginning. So I I was wondering kind of what led you to do an online mentorship program specifically? Like what were the benefits there or like what influenced that choice? Yeah, I think it's a great question and I can't really take credit for the birth of GHME, but I can definitely talk about it. So GHME was started in 2015 by two organizations in Sweden. So one was the Swedish Network of International Health and the other was the Global Health Next Generation Network. And essentially, multiple individuals in those organizations started to see that global health was an up-and-coming field. And there were a lot of students and young professionals that were very apprehensive and a bit overwhelmed about starting a career in global health. They felt it was not only difficult to map out their career path, but it was also difficult to find support because it was such a new field. So that's how GHME was started. It was established really aiming to bring all the benefits of mentoring to these students and young professionals by connecting them with established professionals. And I myself joined the organization four years ago and I stepped in as an external affairs coordinator. And then after a year, I stepped into the role as the executive director and have been leading the organization since then. So that's a bit of history, I would say. Yeah, that's that's great context to have. Um, and I think sort of following on from that, then you talked a little bit about the goal of sort of connecting um, people just starting out in this career to people with real experience in the field. Um, is that sort of the main goal or how do you conceive of the goals of the program more generally? And, and how does being online contribute to achieving those? Um, We have, I would say, kind of two main goals of the program, and these have evolved. I I can't claim these were the initial goals, but these are the ones that we've shaped over the years through our learning. 
And one of them is that we want to make mentoring very visible uh, globally to individuals because we think that there's an immense benefits that comes with mentoring and it often is an area that people just aren't aware of and they're not aware of the potential accessibility of it. And then as mentioned, our other main goal is once we've gained this visibility or we've reached our target groups, we want to create and nurture a very mutually beneficial relationship between these, these mentees and the mentors through active facilitation, knowledge exchange. We also um, involve them in networking. So not only with those that are in their group between the mentor and the mentee, but also the other mentors like to connect with each other. The students and young professionals, we call them SYPs, like to connect with each other as well. So those are the two main areas, uh, main goals for our organization. And then I think you asked a bit about uh, the online environment and how it helps us maybe achieve this goal. So if you look, I've done a bit of, myself and my colleagues have done a lot of kind of research around mentoring, the traditions of mentoring and the history of it. And you can see that traditional uh, mentoring in the terms of like a face-to-face -face engagement does have some barriers. And just to name a few, some barriers are like organizational cultures. So maybe in the organization an individual is in, there's um, not a lot of formal or informal opportunities to establish a mentorship, or there's challenges um, with the local working arrangement or hierarchy within the organization. So maybe there's not a lot of time to have these like breaks and have natural kind of coffee conversations with the potential mentor or the accessibility of senior mentors is is very low. Uh, maybe you don't work directly with anyone that you would like to be mentored by. And additionally, and I think something relevant for this podcast is these kind of cross-gender relationship challenges that happen in these face-to-face -face settings. And this came up in Sheryl Sandberg's recent book, Lean In, where it talks about women may be less likely to initiate a mentoring relationship with a male counterpart in person for fear of misinterpretation of the nature of that interpersonal relationship. And in the book, Cheryl gives like a really great example talking about, for example, a mentee that might be a woman meeting with her male mentor at a restaurant and maybe people on looking, misconstruing uh, that interaction, which you may, won't see if you have a male to male interaction at a restaurant. So we, we think that this online presence actually addresses a lot of these challenges. And that could be through just the accessibility. So really creating a whole breadth of diversity of mentors and students that might be able to connect with each other. It also increases the sustainability of the relationship because like I mentioned, there might be time constraint or work conflicts or even geographical um, challenges with meeting up in person. So with this online setting or e-mentoring, you're able to overcome that. And often we also find uh, that, especially with COVID now, people are really quickly increasing their digital literacy and their ability to engage virtually. So we don't see a lot of challenges um, in, in kind of taking on this e-mentoring model. And it really does help us achieve this goal of increasing accessibility. And, and to that end, do you want to talk a little bit about some success stories you've had, even if they're, you know, slightly anonymized, just talking about like how you've seen this play out? Yeah, I would love to. Um, it's hard to, to pick one, but I'll, I'll try and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot. We've had the program going since 2015, so we've had a lot of cohorts come through. 
And so I could kind of group them in. We have some mentor success stories. I'd like to share some SYP and then organizational ones. And a great mentor one is our um, recent mentor, Dr. Shubha Nagesh. She's based in India. She's a medical doctor and a global health professional. And she actually started with GHME in 2016 as a mentee. So she came in to be mentored by an individual. And after her experience, she went out and got her own work experience, developed her career, and came back as a mentor in 2019. And oh, she returned really this last year. Yeah, it was really great. It's like such a full circle moment and a really a way for us to watch how people gain confidence. Like you could very much see how she's grown as a professional over this time. And she's bringing in such interesting topics from her context, you know, being in India, being a woman, bringing in these areas about women building other women up and also talking about um, global health colonialism, which is a mm, current mm-hmm. challenge and topic. Uh, and another really great example of a mentor is um, this woman, she calls her, she has a very long Nigerian name, so she calls herself uh, Dr. Wayoms, and she's a pediatrician in the United Kingdom. And she, we, we had this virtual mixer where we bring everyone together and we invite mentors and SYPs to kind of use a storytelling model to share their story. And she, it was just such a really touching story because she talked very much in this like vulnerable personal way about when she first saw this call for mentors from GHME in 2019. She went through this kind of internal dialogue of, am I good enough to be a mentor? Do I have those skills? Like, I don't know if they would accept me. We, of course, accept her. She's a fantastic candidate. And she talked about how it empowered her as an individual. And she went on to start her own mentoring program with young individuals in Nigeria, young girls. And I think it's just like a really great example that shows, you know, mentoring is not only beneficial to the mentees, but it really helps the mentors grow as well. Um, And then uh, talking about SYP. So we refer to mentees as SYPs because we call them students and young professionals. And we have a great example of uh, someone who is an intern with me when I worked at WHO uh, Europe. Her name's Dr. Rosie James. She joined our program in 2017 when she was a medical student and she was luckily matched with someone that was in her local context. So she actually could meet in face to face, but because they're group based mentoring experiences, she also met online with her, her fellow SYPs. And she talked specifically recently about the reason she's in global health now is from this mentoring experience because she was able to actually understand what it means to work in global health. She was able to understand what the opportunities and challenges were and it inspired her to apply and work in a program in Uganda where she worked on reproductive health. Uh, so I think that's a really great success story. And I'll, I'll stop there because I, I could tell more and more of it <laughs> for the sake of time, I'll, I'll stop there. Well, it also seems to me like what we're hearing over and over in these stories is that as opposed to now, where everyone sort of defaults to things being online because of the COVID-19 pandemic, Mm. you're having a lot of experience with people who like actively opt into being online because they seem to see it as being like actively beneficial. Um, And they're they're choosing that not just necessarily for the convenience, but also because Mm -hmm. it adds something to their experience. And I wondered if you can just dive a little bit deeper into that and talk about how being online affects the program, how it like contributes to the benefits of the program, also just like how it shapes the way you guys go about doing your your work. Yeah, I think that's a great 
A great question. Thank you. And I, I very much would have to say right now with the COVID pandemic and this kind of like digital transformation, it's almost become a bit of a challenge for us because now I think everything's online. So we, we find people, especially our team members, feeling this kind of Zooming, Zoom online fatigue that everyone's feeling. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that's like a, a recent challenge. But uh, like you said, we, we're actively having people that want this online experience. And really the benefits that we're hearing from our members is that they really like this aspect of being able to connect with someone that's in a completely different context, you know, located in some other part of the world and really understanding what it's like for them in in their area of work, in their university, in their city. And additionally, we're finding a lot of individuals from the global south having a very strong interest in understanding what it would mean to try and migrate or work in the global north. So people interested in working in northern Europe, for example, and they really like this ability to meet with uh, either a fellow student or a mentor that works in that setting and to really understand what it means before they make such a big transition in their lives. And I think that's something as a because we're global health focused, I think that's why there's such a strong um, desire for that kind of engagement, because we do work, uh, as, as you do with international policy as well, we work with these kind of transnational topics. So we really need these interpersonal development areas in terms of being able to work like cross cultures. And I think that only can come either from immersing yourself in a new setting or being able to access these kind of like online connections And in terms of how we run our program, because it's virtual, I mean, there definitely is a lot of uh, things we're trying to work out. So we we do an annual evaluation of the program. We're constantly searching for feedback from the people that participate to understand where we can improve. And for example, a recent thing that came up was that they would like more networking between the groups because because everyone's located um, online in different settings and they only get connected directly with their group, so their mentor and the SYPs, which are usually two to three SYPs, they feel this lack of being connected with the other mentors or being connected with the other students. So we're now researching what is the best type of platform or forum. Do we use LinkedIn you know, group? Do we use some type of app to try and engage them? An- another big challenge that's coming up definitely is where we have some individuals, for example, uh, that work in Nigeria, where they're being challenged with the internet connection. Mm-hmm. And of course, that makes it difficult for them to engage with their mentors or even with their fellow SYPs. And that's where we're looking into different platforms. Uh, we find WhatsApp is actually the best platform for these low connection areas, as well as um, platforms like Zoom or Join.me, where you can actually call in directly through a line with a um, no cost. And that seems to be a, a new uh, solution. But just to summarize, in general, we find that because it's online, we, we're, we're constantly adapting we're constantly trying to assess like what's working. There's things we've tried that definitely didn't work. And then we say, okay, we're just going to push that aside and, and recalibrate. That is a a great answer. And I think as, as far as our organization goes, we've also found um, a lot of success in WhatsApp, or at least that a lot of people tend to default Mm. there. So I think that's maybe um, not necessarily universal, but at least kind of a, a broad thing. Um, I think that you have a lot of interesting experience sort of um, 
getting people into a mentoring program, not just as mentees, but also as mentors. And you talked a little bit about people applying to be mentors in your program. So mm -hmm. I would really love to hear you talk a little bit about what people should consider when they're looking for a mentoring program. Yes, definitely as a mentee, but also if you have any advice for people who are thinking like, I might be like mid-career now. Am I qualified to be a mentor? Like how, how would people make that call as well? Yeah, those are great questions. I'm happy to talk about that. Um, I'll start with just kind of the general things I would suggest looking at in terms of a program. And then I definitely want to touch more about this concept of, you know, when, when do you think you can be a mentor? Because that has come up uh, multiple times with a lot of our members. So in terms of looking at a program, so when I joined the organization in 2015, I noticed the model was there in terms of evaluating, but we found that people weren't, you know, often you have this in organizations where you're evaluating, but you're not really taking the time to assess and recalibrate and learn from your evaluation. So my team and I spent like an entire year of going through all the evaluation to date. We really tried to understand, for example, why we had high dropout rates at the time. There were people that would join the program and then drop out, or we found people that just didn't feel like they were getting what they wanted out of the program. And from this, we've set different aspects of our current program to address those. And I would suggest people looking into these areas. So for example, really trying to understand the quality of the program when you're signing up, either a face-to-face -face or um, one online, because may, we're often seeing now mentoring is becoming popular and you have organizations, universities, companies putting out these mentoring programs. But in reality, what they're, what they're doing, which everyone does in the beginning, is they just say, okay, I'll pair you with someone because you're both interested in maternal health or you're both interested in antimicrobial resistance, uh, go. And, and often that, that will end up having dropouts, you'll end up having people not meeting their expectations because they're not communicating those expectations. And additionally, there's a lot of research about, it is an interpersonal relationship, so there's things you have to consider in terms of what are your personalities, how do they match, what are your career goals? How do you communicate? What is What language do you prefer to engage with? So I'd really look through the program someone is, um, or you're looking into signing up for and understanding how they're matching you with these people. Um, additionally, like I mentioned a bit about goals, and this came up in your podcast recently about mentoring, and I was super happy to hear when um, some of your respondents were saying that you really need to set your expectations and goals at the beginning. And that's something we found too. It's you really need to think about what are my goals for this engagement. And that could also inform the type of program that you're going to sign up for. So if your goal, like I mentioned earlier, is to connect with people all over the world, then you're probably going to be looking into a program that's online. But if your goal is that you want to move up within your current organization or university, then you likely should look into whether that university or, or your organization has an internal mentoring program to help you just kind of navigate the nuances of that organization because that's very different. And finally, an, another thing to look at when you're looking at a program is to understand what kind of facilitation is there because you know, a mentor and mentee relationship is a human to human relationship and there are going to be challenges, there's going to be miscommunication, things will arise. So understanding if that program you're applying to actually facilitates these um, kind of challenges that might arise or helps you navigate um, maybe more stressful periods within the interaction, I think that's really important and that's something that we 
personally offer in our program is we assign a program facilitator to each group and that person is kind of the confidant of each member of that group so if you feel like you're not being heard or you're you know maybe you had an argument with your mentor then you can reach out to this facilitator and be able to kind of navigate and find ways to to deal with those kind of um, challenges in terms of a mentor it's it's interesting you brought that up because I've even reached out to some of my um, alum alumni from my global health program and said, oh, you would be a great mentor. And sometimes I hear people say, uh, no, I feel like I'm still figuring my life out. <laughs> I don't see myself mentoring anyone. And then I try and highlight things. Well, actually, you've, you know, traveled and worked for UNFPA in this certain context. There's probably a lot of people interested in that and just hearing how that experience was, or maybe they want to join that organization and just being able to mentor them through five months about this process of joining UNFPA can be really valuable. And we have some groups, for example, we have one of the alumni from my program who is now doing her PhD and her group is really focused on applying for a PhD in global health and understanding what you need to do to prepare for that. And really setting that kind of specific focus, I think helps mentors feel like, oh yeah, I could do that. I actually do have that skill or I do have that experience that I could share. And another thing with mentors is we're finding this, this need and the desire for training. So we have like a light training so far at the beginning of the program. And we also put them through a pretty extensive interviewing process to understand their own goals and and really remind them that this is kind of a very uh, vulnerable interaction with a student or young professional. And I think training is really important and you can be a mentor just because of your experiences or because you have the drive or desire to help someone. And then stepping into a program that can help you train those kind of soft skills, I think is incredibly valuable. And we found that with a lot of our mentors, they, they grow as well and they learn as well. I think it's so crucial to think about mentoring as being a progressive process mm. where, um, yes, you're still somewhere on that ladder and perhaps like you feel like you need a mentor, but someone is behind you on that ladder and could use you as a mentor. I'm thinking about that as like a, a multifaceted relationship and multi-directional relationship. Like you can need mentoring and also provide mentoring and those aren't mutually exclusive. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's why I think it's really nice we see SYPs that now realize, oh, now I think I can mentor someone, you know, in a couple years from now, which we have seen as well. And I think there's such a benefit to cultivating mentors in, in that way and saying like you received mentorship and you're going to need to be mentored for basically the rest of your career. Like even when you get to retirement age, like you're going to probably want a mentor who's retired like in the last couple of years to help you walk through that major life transition. Mm. So thinking about these people as being um, like preceded mentors for the next three or four years um, is a really interesting way to think about mentoring programs and, and even think about like your own sort of informal networks and think about how you can kind of chain together uh, a length of, of mentors from life stage to life stage kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's a really wonderful way to describe it. I think I like the way that you created this visualization of kind of this link, almost like a chain and we're, we're all helping each other through each step, you know, personally and professionally. I think it's really great. 
I would also love to hear um, anything that you want to share with us about sort of the, the culture or like the organizational culture. I think we've been hearing a lot lately about people sort of um, opining on how remote work or sort of remote everything has, has changed the way people interact or has changed the way work environments or, or professional environments more generally are sort of structured. So if you can talk from the perspective of an organization that's been online for several years about the, the work culture and kind of the professional culture you are looking to cultivate there, I think that would be really interesting. Yeah, thank you so much. I'd love to talk about that. And yeah, I I'm love that you bring up this concept about how things are transitioning with the, the new digital transformation, I guess you could call it. Because it's been interesting being an organization, which you guys experience as well, who's traditionally always been online, and now everyone's kind of online, and you're starting to see, you know, the what comes out of that. But uh, in generally, our culture, because we're online, and we're also volunteer run, I find I've been, I've been really trying to cultivate this strong sense of co-ownership, and also kind of experimental design. Because I feel when people are volunteering their time, they need to get something out of it. Um, and traditionally, that's you sign up for a job, and what you get out of it is your payment, right? You get to pay your rent, you get to you know, fund your lifestyle, which is a traditional model for work. But I'm very much interested in the new model of work, and that's the model driven by motivation, driven by passion, driven by interest, and driven by experimentation. And that's something I've really tried to instill within GHME and just in just different ways. So, for example, I, I very much vocalize to everyone in our team and anyone that joins our team that we're a place where failure is completely allowed and OK. And I even want to take on Google's church of fail at some point where <laughs> we can just kind of laugh and learn from our failures, because that's definitely where innovation comes from. And also, I, I very much give people ownership of decisions. So I make it very clear that if anybody has an idea or wants to change something or thinks we should do go in this direction or that direction, then they just bring it to me or someone else in the team and we talk about it and we make a joint decision about whether we go forward with that. And uh, furthermore, I, I always talk about you know, complete flat structure. Of course, we have titles like, you know, executive director or lead this or lead that. And that's more in the sense of responsibility because, of course, someone has to be responsible for the bottom line. But it's not in the sense of um, having decision-making power overpowering anybody else's opinions in any way. And this is something I've been experimenting with myself since I've taken or stepped into this leading role in GHME because... When I joined the organization, I found it was being modeled off of the traditional work structure where you have deadlines, you have you know tasks that are assigned to you. And I just saw people dropping out, people losing motivation because then you have this internal dialogue of, well, I'm volunteering my time. Why am I being you know, expected to deliver in this way? So it's so far, it's been an experiment on my side and I think it's been quite successful. We're now doing an internal, what I call, for lack of better term, bilateral review. And the idea is that we meet with the people we work with um, directly and we give each other direct feedback. Okay, this is what's been working and how we interact with each other. This is what's not been working. And we also provide 
oh, I think you should try this training or this book's really interesting. I think you should check it out. It could help you in your own professional development. And so far, my team members have been very vocal about that they really enjoy this atmosphere. They really enjoy this way of working. And many of us are working in these kind of older structures. I work at WHO. I have colleagues that work at, you know, UNDP or work in um, London School of Tropical Medicine. And unfortunately, those, I don't want to um, talk down about these organizations, but I think these organizations are based on old structures. And you definitely feel you're not able to speak up as a young professional and as a young woman, I think it's even more challenging to get your voice heard and get your seat at the table. So often the women in my organization say that they really appreciate this kind of reprieve from that environment to be able to be at GHME and really kind of speak up and, and see that the ideas they have are valuable. And I, I think everyone has fantastic ideas. It's just being able to actually express them and be heard is the challenge. So yeah, I won't, I'll stop there because I, I can get very excited about this and talk <laughs> too much. So yeah, that's it in a nutshell. Uh, no, I love that. I I also get very excited about the way we can like form organizations and I, I'm very process oriented. So I love like design, designing processes, uh, stuff like that, which I, I think is my soapbox that I can stand on for like a half an hour without leaving. <laughs> oh, that's um, fantastic. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I um I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking to us and sharing your experience and your wisdom. Um was there anything else that you wanted to to chat about around your experience with GHME or just being an online mentoring um program? Um I mean there I thank you by the way for your questions. These were fantastic and I really enjoyed this conversation and I think you and I should definitely have a chat about processes just for fun. <laughs> sometime in the future. That yes. would be really great. Um, I just final kind of comments would be that I encourage everyone to find a way to build this kind of relationship, like find a mentor or mentor someone, because I think it just comes down to that innate part of us in humans that we're very social and we like to help each other. Like we really do. And being able to see that what you've contributed to someone else's life actually improve their lives, I think is an incredible experience. And uh, for us, GHME, we, our applications actually open this June and we go through a two month process of recruiting mentors and then recruiting SYPs. So I encourage people to check out our website and apply. And if you hear of anything, you know, interesting around mentoring, please email it to us, challenge us, write us. And I'm open to any conversations around mentoring and processes. Um, yeah, that would be it. And thanks so much for your time, Ashley. Super. Thank you as well. Thanks for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on whatever app you use. That helps other people find us. It is one of the most helpful things you can do. While you're at it, please subscribe to the Women in Foreign Policy newsletter, which is available on our website. If you have any thoughts, feedback, or anyone you'd be interested in us interviewing, please let us know. You can follow our organization's Twitter at WomenInFP, and if the work we're doing means a lot to you, please consider supporting us via PayPal at Lucy Goulet. That's L-U-C-I-E-G-O-U-L-E-T, or on Patreon at Women in Foreign Policy. We are an all-volunteer team, so that means your support goes even further. We love the work we do and couldn't do it without listeners like you. Thank you all so much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.